0: Fake, fake, fakety-fake. Hi,
1: I'm Jody.
2: I'm Caitlin.
1: And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast, Rebel News, and then talk about stalking politicians with my friend, Caitlin. Great. How are you, Caitlin?
2: Okay, a little tired today. Oh my gosh, just been such a long day.
1: Yeah, my, my day was long, Tuesday, we so we got delayed. I was going to say Tuesday is my grocery uh, shopping day. Got delayed because my son poured water all over my work laptop. So uh, that was fun. (laughs) I had a mild panic attack because this is the computer that not only do I use to record this podcast, but it is also what he uses to attend his online schooling. So I was like, what do I do? But thankfully, I shut it off and I drained all the water out of it. And that is why we are currently recording on that laptop right now.
2: Glad it's not broken. Uh,
1: Me too, Uh, but also tired. Anyways, it is that time of month again. We are covering the first week of February. So this is our patron shout out.
2: We would like to thank Christopher, who is a member of the media party.
0: Yeah, that is literally the definition of a media party. We
2: would also like to thank Richard, Durka, Darren, Sarah, Ryan, and Tim. You are the Laurentian elite of the Imperial News podcast.
3: You're talking about the Laurentian elites?
2: Golding from Laurentian elites.
3: Canada's Laurentian elite.
2: We'd also like to thank Viano, Nicholas, and Michael, our foreign-funded environmentalists. Lastly, we would like to thank our ultimate patrons, Nate and Ken, for being less annoying than Joel Pollock's cell phone.
4: And had to basically start from
2: scratch. Start from scratch.
0: And that's crazy.
2: Start from scratch.
3: Testosterone flowing. Start from
2: scratch.
0: And that's crazy, crazy.
2: Homeless people in LA have smartphones. Thank you all so much for your support. You can donate to us at patreon.com slash imperialnews. And now the Imperial Roundup.
0: Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy.
1: I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on The Rebel from February 1st to February 5th. Ezra is not hosting this week, hosting his own show, because he's supposedly writing a book. I don't know what the book is about yet, but when we have details, I'm sure we will tell you. David the Menzoid Menzies hosts the show for three days, and Sheila and Kian fill out the other two days. However, every single show, Ezra is the guest leading to some really awkward moments when the Rebel employees thank Ezra for being a guest on his own show.
4: Well, Ezra, I want to thank you for coming on to your own show. I know you're very busy, that's why I'm filling in, so I'll let you get back to your work.
0: Well, Ezra, thanks so much for joining me on your own show, actually.
1: it's so <laughs> isn't that amazing
2: <laughs> I'll just fucking host your own fucking show then I know I don't what I to say to this <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, okay What is this? Are you guys kidding me? The menzoid argues that science is objective and not open to interpretation. David, however, disagrees with medical doctors and epidemiologists on COVID restrictions because he argues that scientists think science is fluid, just like they think gender is fluid. But these days, when it comes to science
3: in the eyes of political types, and even in some cases, scientists and doctors themselves, science is fluid. You know, like gender is these days.
2: He doesn't explain what he means by this, but goes on to argue that the virus is not Ebola and therefore not bad. It is true COVID-19 is not Ebola, but even though people who get Ebola are more likely to die, COVID-19 is still worse because it's much more transmissible than Ebola. Amazing that David thinks he has figured out some deep insight into the philosophy of science and yet doesn't understand a basic fact about disease prevalence.
1: After a Rebel employee was shoved by police at an anti-lockdown event in Toronto, Ezra accompanies David
3: Menzies to the next one. i tell you, I spent more than five hours walking the streets of Toronto with Ezra Levand. kind of felt like a father-son fishing chair. Who is the father and who is the son? <laughs> I'm not gonna say.
1: <laughs> they talk as if Ezra's presence there was somehow going to make Toronto police behave better. Like it is a power play against the police to send in the big old boss at Rebel News.
0: I felt that um, as, as the president of Rebel News, I had a special corporate and legal obligation to go down there to make sure you guys weren't roughed up.
1: Ezra talks about seeing someone on the street who's shooting up, and he's angry that the police didn't do anything about it.
0: And then we see another lady on the ground, just planting herself right in the middle of Young Dundas Square, and setting up all her gear to start shooting drugs right there, and I swear there were a dozen police cars and 20 or 30 officers right there. Yep. And she was right there. 100%. So my first thing was shock at that.
1: Ezra claims that all the young people in apartment buildings around Toronto cannot get exercise because all the public parks are full of what he calls dangerous vagrants.
0: So there's all these young people in Toronto who live in these tall, tall towers, and they don't have a backyard, obviously, if maybe they have a tiny balcony, in many cases they don't. So they're in a small, expensive apartment. The restaurants are closed, the bars are closed, the gyms are closed, the stores are closed. But the parks cannot be used by them either because they're physically dangerous. What do they do with their lives? How do they get exercise? How do they meet people? Where where do they go?
1: He also wonders why police have not done anything about the business closures. As if police are in control of the economy, I'm I'm not sure what he's getting at.
0: To see the decay and the hopeless, to see boarded up storefronts, especially for restaurants. Um, I was driving by our favorite place on Eglinton West, all those Jamaican and Caribbean barbershops. Just that brown paper in the window. You know when you, that brown newsprint, uh, it's not newsprint, it's just the paper that says, we're shut down barbershop after barbershop, restaurant after restaurant, to see the destruction of this great city, and the police not attending to any of these issues, but going after the lockdown protesters.
1: He gets mad at how police treat anti-mask, anti-lockdown protesters, arguing that police should not be intervening in public health problems.
0: I don't know why any police are involved in health matters to begin with. They never have been historically.
1: But this is immediately after saying that police should be involved in drug addiction, mental health, and business closures. Almost as if Ezra wants the police to do whatever he wants them to do, which is why I think it is a good idea to get rid of police so that fascist assholes don't get to dictate what they do.
2: Sheila hosts Rebel News and plays a clip of Cannes complaining about Trudeau's new travel restrictions. These restrictions force non-essential travellers to stay at a hotel at their own expense for three days while they wait for a COVID test. Sheila is mostly upset that temporary foreign workers are being allowed into the country, but Canadian citizens are the ones being detained.
4: Federal officials quelled any fears the restrictions would prevent foreign workers, though, from arriving in Canada. According to sources, Temporary or seasonal foreign workers aren't being subjected to the same quarantine orders, the same quarantine orders as Canadian citizens. Look at this. Workers are deemed essential by the federal government and won't be required to quarantine at an approved hotel as they await test results. Instead, they'll be able to wait out their 14 day quarantine on farm. Hang on for a second here. So, Canadian nationals flying home from their winter escape in Mexico, have to mandatory quarantine in an expensive hotel? Because Justin Trudeau said so, but he's making special exceptions for Mexican foreign workers. So grandma and grandpa can't quarantine for 14 days on their own farm that they own after coming back from Mexico. But Mexican foreign workers can quarantine on the farm that they don't own but they're working at? This is absolutely outrageous.
2: However, the Canadian citizens being detained are the ones who decide to engage in international travel for non-essential reasons during a global pandemic and the foreign workers are the ones that are coming here to harvest our vegetables.
1: David decides to go back to the beginning of the pandemic to reflect on a letter written by parents to the York School Board. Menzies complains about how this letter was perceived as racist since it asked the school board to notify parents if people had recently traveled to China. He then goes on to say that the letter basically calls for what the government is currently doing, which is faint praise because David doesn't like what the government is currently doing, which is why he constantly attends anti-mask and anti-lockdown protests. It's also worth noting that the government is not tracking people who recently came from China, and it was racist back then to do that, just as it is now, because the virus isn't just coming from China.
2: David refers to teachers as educrats, as he gets angry that schools are still locked down. He argues that kids are practically immune from the virus, which they aren't. David then gets really mad at FO union leader Sam Hammond for pushing back against Education Minister Lachey's plan to cancel March break. David seems to think that teachers are getting paid for doing nothing during the pandemic, even though online schooling has been stressful for both parents and teachers. He also gets mad that public sector employees get to keep their paychecks, even during a lockdown, and that teachers have a union contract which stipulates they get time off, like during March break. David makes it sound like everyone is making sacrifices except the teachers who are living a fat-off-the-government dime.
3: These entitled fat cats have been on cruise control for months. And as they, and and right now, they want to continue floating down that lazy river. They have not lost a single nickel in pay. They have not lost a single benefit. None of them has experienced a single layoff. And yet you walk down Main Street, Canada, and what do you see? Papered over businesses, shops that had been around for decades, now placed into bankruptcy, not by the Wuhan virus, but by government edict. Yeah, that's the real virus here, big government. Meanwhile, look at those people in say, trucking, or those who are running mom, pa convenience stores. They're putting in brutal hours to make a living and to serve the public the best they can. You think they're going on March break this year, Mr. Hammond and Mr. Bischoff? No, because that's life in the real world not in the fantasy land of a public sector union environment.
2: When the real lesson should be, why don't we all have these benefits? And why don't we all deserve this level of job security? And why can't we all be unionized?
1: That is the week. I had an idea to start this segment by posing the question, a broad sort of question, but we can narrow it in, of like, how, to what extent should journalists go as far as they can to, like, get a story? Like, at what point are, are, can you go too far as a journalist?
2: Are you asking me? Yeah. I mean, I think they should follow a similar guide to ethics as researchers do, even though they're not obligated under any law to do so. But they should definitely, you know, having... it some sort of guideline that follows what researchers do because i don't really see i mean maybe it would actually make their their journalism more vigorous if they actually did that
1: yeah i think there are certain standards within journalism in terms of like how you treat the people you cover well i mean i guess it depends on uh, it depends on where the standards are coming from because i don't think like ethics boards there's going to be like the chance of you losing your job, but it's definitely going to hurt your credibility. And then there's going to be like journalist organizations that might like blackball you or whatever. Right. Yeah. The reason why I'm asking this is because Ezra decides (laughs) that, so, you know, you know how recently there was a couple politicians who were caught. I I don't think it was just politicians. It might've been like business people, but uh, other people, there was people who were caught Traveling for non-essential reasons during this global pandemic. And these were people who were politicians who were advocating for lockdown policies. And Ezra is upset about this because, you know, it's an easy hypocrisy gotcha, right? Mm -hmm. This person is asking for everyone else to lock down, but here he is going on vacation, right? It looks bad.
2: Yeah. So what
1: Ezra has decided to do is he hired... Private investigators in five locations in three different countries. He won't say where, of course. And it's cost him about $10,000 to pay for these private investigators. which she says is big money for them. And one of these things, according to Ezra, has struck gold. One of them has paid off.
0: I would say we're around $10,000. Um, and I know that sounds like chump change, a rounding error to the CBC, but that's big bucks to us. Um, and in most of the cases, it's like drilling an oil well. We came up dry, but you keep doing it until you strike gold or strike oil. And we struck oil this time.
1: So what Ezra did, or I guess, I guess I should say what the private investigator that Ezra hired did was hire a drone. Or not hire a drone. I guess you make the drone go up in the air and do its thing. <laughs> and he flew the drone. Or he or she, I guess I don't know the the private investigator's gender. They flew the thing over a Florida neighborhood that contained a mansion that is owned by John Tory, the mayor of Toronto. Okay. Now, apparently, as the drone is flying over this house, Ezra notices that there seems to be a lot of people at this house and therefore concludes that there's a house party going on. And he argues that everyone should be free to travel but he's only doing this to target the locker downers, including John Tory, who's locking down Toronto. And he thinks that this is a, a big gotcha. Now, how how comfortable are you with like flying a drone over someone's house to spy on them as a journalist?
2: It's certainly not ethical. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly violates the principles of informed consent.
1: I struggle with this because there's an aspect in which I'm like... It's not like these people own the like air around their house or something like this. But it's a little weird. So, and there's there's so many levels to this, which is that like, you know, I don't care about John Tory for one. I also think that it's a little bit fucked up that a mayor of Toronto owns a mansion in Florida. I also think that's fucked up. And <laughs> I also think it's fucked up that it's a mansion that's in a gated community, okay? But here you are. You have this gated community. You have a backyard fence and some assholes flying a drone over it to look at you.
0: Mm -hmm. As you can see, we used drones in this case because we could not get onto the property. We couldn't ring the doorbell and say, hi, who are you? Um, Because we couldn't get past the armed guards at the gate.
1: And that feels like like there's some laws being broken here or something like the i, I don't know what it is i'm not a lawyer I'm not a legal scholar it just feels icky as well it's like an invasion of yeah. a level of invasion of privacy that i don't think is acceptable for a journalist to engage in yeah especially people who call themselves journalists right like we quibble about whether rebel is journalistic or not which but here's the thing it's like i don't i don't think that's ethical for a journalist to participate in that, that kind of activity anyways Ezra's also mad that uh uh, Tori won't respond to the, to this, like how dare Tori not like return my calls when I've clearly caught a house party going on at his thing. He didn't catch Tori at that house party. <laughs> there was a house party. And I can think of like many different reasons why there could have been a house party going on at this place that verge on the more mundane which is that they like, maybe he rented the place out to someone else. Yeah. Maybe his son had some friends over and in Florida, the lockdown restrictions are not as strenuous as they are in Toronto, but that's not really under Tori's control. And like, frankly, I don't think Tori should be in control of his son on that account too. Like, I don't think his son's behavior should poorly reflect on his behavior. Yeah. But that was his first story. So he tries to break this story. He comes out and he's like, we caught this house party. John Tory's a hypocrite. Boom. I got to come in. I got to say my piece about it. I I took a week off for my book, but I have to come in and talk about this. (laughs) But then a few days later, it gets even better. So they didn't settle for the single drone. They sent the drone back in. But this time, As the drone's coming in, there's no house party at the mansion. But somebody's leaving on a bicycle. So what does the drone do? The drone follows the person on the bicycle down the street as they're riding their bike. And then you can tell the dude riding the bike is like looking around because they hear something. And then they eventually get off the bike and they're looking up in the sky And they finally make eye contact with the drone. And their first reaction is to cover their face. (laughs) Okay? Ezra's response to this is, we caught them. (laughs) They're trying to hide their identity. (laughs) They're trying to hide their identity because they know we're onto
0: them. That bicyclist was confused at first, I think, maybe surprised. But then what was his instinct? His first instinct was to snap a picture, to show someone what he was seeing, maybe ask someone what he thought about. Okay. But very quickly, his next impulse was to hide, to hide his identity, to cover his face. Why would you do that, though? Why would you cover your face unless you wanted to hide, and you would want to hide if there was a reason to hide because you were doing something shameful? So they know. They know that they're doing something shameful. Against the rules. It's not shameful to enjoy a $10 million waterfront property in February when it's cold in Toronto. That's not shameful. It's only shameful if you sneaked away from Canada, breaking the mayor's own lockdown,
1: to party at the
0: mayor's house.
1: And I'm like, you just fucking stalked someone with a drone down a street. Like, that's that's his piece. That's his gotcha. and And, and as it goes so far to say... That the reason why uh, their reporter, their rebel employee, was pushed by the Toronto police is because Ezra's onto them. And John Tory is personally sending the Toronto police to, like, take out rebel employees.
0: (laughs) And I'm a little bit scared about it for this reason. Um, When you and our cameraman and our team go out onto the streets and cover lockdown protests in the city... And the Toronto Police Service takes a violent approach to our journalists. I know that on paper, the Toronto Police Service is independent. But I also know that when John Tory said, get Adam Skelly, they got Adam Skelly. I'm talking about Adamson's Barbecue. And so the fact that you are doing such excellent reportage on the lockdown protests, and I had my little story about his North Palm Beach mansion. I'm nervous because if John Tory can pull the strings to get major newspapers in this town to bury the embarrassing story for him. Uh, and if we see what he did to Adamson's barbecue, yeah. is he the reason why Toronto police assaulted three of our reporters two weekends ago? Mm. I don't know, and I'll likely never know, but I don't believe you can trust John Tory.
2: Tory put a head on that <laughs> <laughs> He goes so far
1: to compare uh, John Tory with Caligula. You see, not a single
0: other mainstream media outlet in Toronto even asked John Tory a question about his cheating. It's just like Justin Trudeau. He is total obedience from what I call the media party. Even if ordinary working journalists themselves want to ask Tory about it, they're not allowed to. Their editors forbid it. It's pitiful. But it explains why Tory is behaving a little bit like the Roman Emperor. Caligula, you know, the one who appointed his horse to the
1: Senate because really who's going to stop him? John Tory's a conservative not a huge fan of John Tory not going to get a lot of love from me but Caligula? like, I want to see John Tory now appoint a horse to city council <laughs> but like, how do you how do you feel about that? like, is that is, is that stalking? Do you think that should be a, a like did they break a law?
2: <laughs> I'm not sure as laws go because it would be in the in the states, right? So, I don't know exactly what they have on surveillance and security. I know that you can't do that if it's someone's private property here though. And
1: it's a gated community.
2: Yeah, I know. I doubt that's allowed. That's allowed, but I don't know because I don't live in the United States and I'm not too too familiar with the laws of surveillance there. Um But there's like the ethical standards of what journalists should do have definitely been crossed. Yeah. That's what I think Ezra did. You know, Ezra was like, I can't work for any of these mainstream news sources anymore. So I'm going to start my own new show so I can cross a bunch of lines. (laughs) I couldn't cross lines as a lawyer. So I gave that career up. Couldn't cross lines as a journalist. So I gave that career up. And now I'm a journalist in quotations.
1: A renegade who hires private investigators <laughs> to fly drones at people.
2: Who's public enemy number one, targeted by the state. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we ended last show with the with the big question about the money that they're getting for all these lawsuits. Yeah. And again, they, they signal that $10,000 is a lot of money for them. But they're spending over several hundred thousand dollars to fight all their legal battles. And yet they're still claiming that they, like, that $10,000 is a lot of money for them to hire five private investigators who have drone technology that are spying on people. Yeah. And, it, and it's even the way that he talks about it, too, that was, like, really creepy. He literally said that he struck gold with one of the five. Like, it was something to gain value out of rather than, I broke a serious story.
2: Well, I mean, it could be, like, an expression for saying that. Like, I've heard people say that for things that are not related to monetary gains. But for Ezra, yeah. <laughs> he really does think he struck gold. Come on. Well, that is, like,
1: like $10,000 is a lot for a really cheesy gotcha that really isn't even a gotcha. Right? There was a house party. And then one dude who was riding their
2: bike covered their face. <laughs> is it for sure confirmed that that was even John Tory's house?
1: The thing is, I don't even know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how to look that up.
2: Was well, this see some like, random person, United States citizen, not John Tory whatsoever, house. And maybe they were breaking COVID restrictions and having a little get together with the neighbors or something like that.
1: Watch like they inadvertent, inadvertently helped John Tory because these were just people who have squatted in his place.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was something that was actually in the back of my head. I was like, "What if someone broke into John Tory's place and have just been using it this entire time?" But one of the major possibilities that this could just be he put it up on Airbnb and is renting it out while he can't use it.
1: That that is what I guess to be the more plausible uh, scenario, and if that. If that is the case, because there's so many hypotheticals, because as you pointed out, we don't know for a fact that this is John Tory's place. Yeah. To me, like almost that's like the least interesting part of this whole story. <laughs> you know?
2: No, I think it would be really hilarious But they spent $10,000 to hire a PI that could be even spot down the fucking house of John Tory. That would be super interesting to me, but...
1: I guess for me, I took it for granted because John Tory seems like the type of person who would own a private Floridian mansion.
4: Well, you've watched
2: the clip on it, right? Like you were able to physically see it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you'd be able to tell if it was a mansion because sometimes people say mansions and they're not really mansions. They're just like a big house.
1: I mean, like I don't want to quibble with words, but like it was a fancy house. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. It was a fancy house in a fancy gated neighborhood.
2: And fairness to Ezra, I definitely do agree with the hypocrisy of politicians having these strict, strict, stupid lockdowns that don't come with other things. I, I'm not even so mad about the lockdowns. I'm just mad about that there's been so much other public health advice that just gets so annoyed and they're like, we'll just do a lockdown.
1: Yeah, 100%. And And there's a part of me that like, think there's merit in finding these stories. But most of these stories have broken because other people have caught these people doing this stuff and have reported them. Or it took like an easy like you just noticed that they like uh spent money on tick like there's like ethical ways of going about it as a journalist to find that information that doesn't require you flying a drone over their getaway homes or something.
2: Yeah, I think a part of it too is as it's just kind of maybe trying to be a part of those reports.
1: I actually think I mean like we'll never know because you can never go inside of their of his head in particular. But like I think that what what it was was they saw the sort of like monetary value in these stories in that I think whenever it broke and he would do a report on it I think it got a lot of hits because that's an a hypocrisy that I think appeals to a lot of people. Like it goes beyond just his base, right? Yeah. And so it was like if he could generate those stories, that's why that's why the struck gold thing rang the way that it did to me, because it's like if you could just like plug in ten thousand dollars into these five chances and you get one that might be a payoff, then that's like worth the ten thousand dollar investment to a certain extent. Right. If if it gets enough traction to get you those kind of donations and stuff like that, which, you know. All the levels here is like I don't know that they spent that much. I don't know, you know. Like all of these things are just the things that they're presenting to us. But it does strike me that like I honestly feel like it could have been that he he watched these stories happen, he saw how much energy energy they generated, and was like, I want to get on get in on that. You know. <laughs> That's
2: what I'm having a feeling is going
1: on. Yeah, but we can move on to the next story, which. I think everyone in Canadi- Canada, everyone in Canada, <laughs> uh, should be familiar with right now, and that is the fact that the Proud Boys were designated as a terrorist organization within Canada. Ezra is responding to the Proud Boys being named a terrorist organization, and he has, and he realizes that he has to, because as he reflects, that name came from someone who used to work on Ezra's show, Gavin McGinnis.
0: Out <laughs> Boys is an invention of our former comedian commentator, Gavin McGinnis. It's sort of a rambunctious um, frat fraternity. Yeah.
1: So he realizes that this is an important story that he has to address. Because if it wasn't for him, even like this is Gavin McGinnis' own words, if it wasn't for Ezra, Gavin would not be where he is right now.
0: You really helped build the rebel in a number of ways. I want to I tell you that. I think you know that. You helped us reach beyond guys like me who well, came up through politics. You made me famous, unfortunately, which I don't like. How did, weren't you famous before? I mean, you Not started, really. you helped start no, vice. No, I was never recognized before, Rebel. Well, I mean, you did hundreds of videos and you were the star of all the videos. So I guess you became famous? No. Yeah, I did hundreds of videos. for you, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, before that, I did some comedy sketches. I get recognized maybe once a week. After the Rebel videos blew up, I am stopped by millennials, mostly
1: white millennial men. Which means, officially, in Canada, the person that we (laughs) cover spawned, was was the sole progenitor of the individual who went on to create a terrorist organization. Nice. Just a fun fact, (laughs) just a fun fact about her show. Ezra, as always, refers to the Proud Boys as a rambunctious frat. They're just a rambunctious frat. They're just, they're proud boys. They're silly. (laughs) They just sit around and sing songs in their little frat house, you know.
3: Proud of your boy. I'll make you proud
1: of your boy.
3: Believe me, bad
2: as I've been, ma, you're in for a pleasant surprise. And incite violence. Yeah.
1: And then he goes, Ezra admits there was something that happened in New York. It was never incorporated that I knew of, and it
0: was never, uh, it, you know, like the Boy Scouts. You can't just say, I'm a Boy Scout. You have, it's like a franchise, and there's a book, and you have to follow the rules, and they can kick you out, so it's controlled. The, boy, the Proud Boys were never like that. So you had different people saying, I'm a Proud Boy, I'm a Proud Boy. Gavin was sort of the boss of the Proud Boys. Um, in recent years, they have been called fascist. And they got into some fights with Antifa in New York, and they were prosecuted, and a couple of the Proud Boys were jailed. Gavin McInnes repudiated and renounced and quit the Proud Boys after that battle in the street. It was sort of like a gang fight, Antifa versus Proud Boys in the streets of New York.
1: But what he doesn't explain is like that was the event where Gavin McInnes... Was in New York and a bunch of the proud, like he walked out of a vehicle and pulled a sword out. And they like reenacted like these sword fights and like weird shit. And then, as the event was done and protesting had occurred, his proud boys left the venue and just went on a rampage and started beating the shit out of people on the street. And several of them got arrested. So it wasn't just a little scuffle thing that happened in New York. It was that Gavin McGinnis organized this event to stir up these people, Gavin McGinnis being the guy who Ezra brought into the world, uh, metaphorically speaking. Then those people, that these, this rambunctious fraternity of proud young boys, went down the street and started beating up people. I want
3: to go over there and instigate it, but the cops are here, so we'll be nice.
1: I to fuck you him up know, real bad. That's that's bad. That's Ezra's main worry about this, which obviously is going to be his worry, is that he thinks that this is going to open the door to criminalize conservatives generally.
0: I think we are in a bizarre world. And I'm not a proud boy. I mean, I, I know Gavin McInnes, the founder of it, and he renounced it and he got into some trouble because some of his uh, followers fought with antifa on the street, and I don't like fighting either way. To turn that into a terrorist group, that is a danger because of what they can do to those folks. And I think it's opening the door to criminalizing any conservative opposition to the liberals at all.
1: I think you're right. I think the deeper fear is that he's afraid that this is going to have ramifications for him, considering this I just brought up. He is the person who even Gavin (laughs) gives credit for spotting his career. But of course, like he can monetize off this, right? Like if at any point it starts coming at him for these kind of connections, he could be like, look, they're just coming for conservatives generally. And they get to do their, their fear mongering that they always do. David then chimes in because of course, David Menzies is always going to chime in with this. But Antifa is bad though.
3: (laughs) And he points specifically to Andy Ngo's coverage. I think the proof is in the proverbial pudding here, uh, Ezra. You've mentioned a couple of times Antifa. Antifa's not on this list, no. eh? Or as I like to call them, the paramilitary wing of the Democrat yeah. Party. I mean, we have seen how these individuals have behaved. Uh, Watch Andy Ngo uh, videos, for example. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Andy No.
2: Yes. Getting milkshaked. Yes. And using that for publicity for months on end forever
1: i mean he just released a book so he's still using it as publicity and he he put in the book there's like a black and white photo of him standing there with the milkshake all over him it's it's beautiful it's a work of art <laughs> and <laughs> and uh he's someone who like it's been pointed out that like his pictures have been lied about like they don't represent the actual events on hand i remember one was he took a video which showed this uh you know black block uh individual with a hammer hitting some people as they were getting on a bus and it was like well look here's this antifa person hitting these poor conservatives who were i think i i want to say it was at unite the right but it might have been at a different rally and then what it turned out was if you watched the full video it was the conservative that originally had the hammer and I'll say a white nationalist. It was the white nationalist that had the hammer and was trying to beat the uh, Antifa people. And then the hammer slipped in which the black block individual who was being hit with the hammer picked it up and hit back. <laughs> right. But it gets framed as it's like Antifa is causing the violence. Right. Mm-hmm. The other thing is Andy No was caught on camera laughing with members of Patriot Prayer and Andy No was present with these Patriot Prayer people who, whenever there's a rally, Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer, like all these groups hang out together. They planned an incitement of violence. Andy Ngo was there, didn't tell the authorities and went along with them to film them as the good guys and Antifa as the bad guys.
2: The Northeast Portland Bar was the site of a large disturbance Wednesday evening after a day of largely peaceful Mayday rallies around the city. Dozens of Antifa protesters had gathered for a celebration when Gibson and right-wing protesters arrived. Video of the clash shows people throwing things and using pepper spray. Portland police say some were dressed in riot gear. Others had bats or batons. In the lawsuit, Cider Riot's owner claims patrons were harassed and one woman was knocked unconscious.
1: But that, of course, is who, who David Menzies is going to go to as evidence that, you know, Antifa are the real bad guys, not Proud Boys. Ezra then says that he thinks that the only thing that the Proud Boys have done in Canada, right? So, like, he admits there was that thing in in New York. But in Canada, all they've done is uh, there was something that had to do with a statue in Nova Scotia, and they were just there to prevent vandalism for the statue. But that was it.
0: As far as I know, it hasn't had any activities in Canada other than some Proud Boys meeting up for drinks or something. There was at one time when five members of the canadian armed forces including aboriginal fella a gay fella like a real diverse group of guys went to counter protest in support of sir john a mcdonald or something in in halifax i remember
3: met. that at least yeah
0: and there was no violence there was just a political protest from a mix of people saying no 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 don't tear down uh, i think it, maybe it was a, a statue of someone else but it was uh It was a statue that they wanted to knock down. So I think that's the only time the Proud Boys have actually ever done anything in Canada.
1: And then again, he repeats this uh, with Kia the next day. I mean, I don't know where those five
0: Halifax lads are now, but it wouldn't surprise me if every one of them is being drummed out of the military. And it wouldn't surprise me if every one of them is getting a visit from the RCMP now. I mean, there's literally no one else in Canada who has done anything Proud Boys-ish. But uh, I think that... Uh, Trudeau wants to hold up some scalps and say, look look at this, I caught myself some real-life Nazis.
1: I want to just sort of talk about what happened in Nova Scotia. But I also want to frame that that's not the only thing that Proud Boys have done. Over the, the pandemic, whenever Black Lives Matter were engaging in, in activism, Proud Boys were there that caused harm to several people and vandalized, like ripping down Black Lives Matter murals and stuff like this. The, the main organizer... For the Unite the Right rally in 2017, which led to the death of Heather Heyer by the hands of a white nationalist who drove their car into a crowd of people, that rally was organized by Jason Kessler, who was himself a proud boy. And there was proud boys clearly visible and engaged in the January 6th insurrection as well. So to frame them as being this kind of like innocent, they're just a fraternity. I, it would take me several shows to go through every single event they've ever done to indicate that they're really terrible, terrible human beings and racists. So what happened in Nova Scotia? Five Proud Boys showed up to an event that was organized by Mi'kmaq activists in 2017 to mourn missing and murdered Indigenous women. The event was being held in front of a statue of Edward Cornwallis, This statue has been a point of controversy with growing calls to remove it since the 1980s, since Cornwallis led a genocide against the Mi'kmaq people, including providing a bounty for Mi'kmaq scalps. When this statue was erected in the 1930s, this fact of history was downplayed, as Cornwallis was described as a strong, virile leader who settled Nova Scotia with only a passing reference to the Mi'kmaq being an obstacle to settlement. Months prior to the event, Mourning Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Halifax City Council appointed a panel to discuss the removal of the statue. The Proud Boys who showed up were loud and interrupted this event. That was for mourning, right? It wasn't about ruining the statue. It wasn't about taking the statue down. It was an event about murdering murdered and missing indigenous women. They showed up and they started yelling at the activists and said, you are recognizing your heritage. So are we.
4: So
0: why why is she allowed the uh, the Mi'kmaq yeah. flag, but I'm not allowed, take, my flag. not allowed by You're not allowed. This is this a
1: flag know. of genocide. A flag of genocide. Yes. This was. So this is a country of genocide. Yes. We're, is. We're living in a country of genocide. Uh, I'm that yes. you Okay, right so right. you guys are. Even though even though all the all of yeah. that was done okay. with the
0: Union Jack, this is the Confederate flag of Canada.
1: This is
0: Mi'kmaq territory. This is not Canada. This is Canada. It might have been, it might have been. So you don't have Canadian
1: ID? You don't uh, pay your taxes? The Proud Boys, maritime chapter, of which these five Proud Boys belonged, described themselves as a fraternal organization of Western chauvinists who will no longer apologize for creating the modern world. In the end, the five Proud Boys, who were all members of the Canadian Armed Forces, were allowed to stay in the armed forces which is pretty ironic now that they are labeled as a terrorist organization. Off-duty at the time, the Canadian Forces members were relieved of their duties pending an investigation. Now, after a firm warning not to breach the Armed Forces Code of Conduct again, they are back, albeit on probation.
3: With the exception of one individual who has since left the Canadian Armed Forces, the four serving members are being returned to their operational units and regular duties. NO DEMOTIONS AND FEW DETAILS ABOUT WHAT CONDITIONS THE MEMBERS MUST ADHERE TO. FROM CANADA'S TOP GENERAL,
1: I EXPECT EVERY CAF MEMBER TO LEARN FROM THIS SITUATION AND DEMONSTRATE PROFESSIONALISM AND PROPER CONDUCT BOTH IN AND OUT OF UNIFORM. MEMBERS OF THE Mi'kmaq WERE CONSULTED ABOUT THIS CASE, BUT AREN'T HAPPY WITH THE OUTCOME.
4: YES, THE ADMIRAL DID CONSULT WITH COMMUNITY, BUT THE INDIVIDUALS DID NOT HAVE TO FACE THE COMMUNITY THEMSELVES
1: and the statue was finally removed in 2018. So goodbye to you, Edward Cornwallis. There was no violence that took place here in terms of physical altercation, but you can see the clear intent. And to play this off as a rebunctious frat that wanted to prevent vandalism is to cover up what the Proud Boys actually wanted to accomplish, which was to promote the idea of settler colonialism And to embrace that as a part of your heritage, as a good thing to to want to praise and promote in the face of the people who were genocided by that general. Or or I don't know what Edward Cornwallis was in the British military, but yeah. This is the thing that I want to get at. Like, that's not obviously the only thing that they've ever done in Canada. But I will say, their presence has been like minimized in the Canadian context. Like, I feel like it took off really as an American phenomenon. And from my own activism in town, it's very rare that I bump into Proud Boys. It's more often that we bump into three percenters or you even get the, the, the various degrees of Odin's. Was it like Sons of Odin, Wolves of Odin, <laughs> Odin's of Odin? <laughs> and, uh, and you get Pegida is like the other one, right? But you don't get a lot of Proud Boys. At least I, I don't find that to be the case.
2: We do get a lot of Peterson fans, though. Which at least they're not vandalizing and terrorizing people, but, like, man, is it ever annoying. There
1: is a lot of overlap with these people, though. Yeah. Like, we went to one rally, which was with Pegida, and there's been several of their rallies that they've held that we've disrupted, where some of them spout back, actually quote Jordan Peterson at me, so.
2: Oh, Really? Yes. What did they tell you to clean your room?
1: No, one of them. One of them, sadly, was a trans man. Oh, who was wearing a mega hat with a rainbow flag on it. But you know, uh, the world comes in all shapes and sizes. But this gets to our bigger question: what What are your thoughts about Proud Boys being labeled a terrorist organization?
2: Oh, totally fine with it.
1: <laughs> Didn't even finish the question, but like that was my question. So you're fine with it. Oh, yeah. What are your reasons for being fine with this?
2: I think it's about time groups of white men get labeled as terrorists. <laughs> you know, the ones that are actually, majority of the time, creating terror for, for individuals and people. I think that because of the insurrection in the states, there has just been this general movement to kind of come back on a lot of this alternative right rhetoric that's being spread out there. And you know, cracking down on these things, and I think they they should have been cracked down on a long time ago because a lot of the things that they're promoting is what we've already seen in history. It's not new. These ideas have are not <laughs> not new at all. It's just that they're coming to they're coming in full force because we had just pretty much a fascist down south lead us for four years. Not lead us, lead Americans. <sighs> and it's 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 like. I'm hoping that people are kind of realizing the severity now of having someone like that in power and then also the severity of not just letting these people do their own things and just ignore them, but actually realizing how they they play a threat on uh, democracy, individual liberties, everything that even conservatives rant about and care about. They are, they are the actual groups that threaten those things.
1: What What you hit on is my one reason for why if not supporting it i also sort of like don't care that it happened in that i think that the one benefit that we can get from it is the fact that we're a part of society is realizing the threat of white nationalist terrorists for what it is yeah the the worries that i have is for example the proud boys being on the list on this list got a lot of attention what didn't get a lot of attention is that a lot of the other groups uh, that were recently named, along with the Proud Boys, were again Islamic groups. And that has gone less reported on, in part because in, in a lot of ways it's not novel. But that in itself is a sort of tragedy, which is that a lot, is the, a lot of these terrorist lists have caused a lot of harm to Muslim individuals who realize that they have to take longer to travel because they could be held up for seven hours and interrogated for their connections to terrorist organizations they haven't given one thought about.
2: Or they're banned from uh, going to certain countries or have to go through like strict travel, uh, I guess, regulations just to even be able to fly to that country before they even get to the airport.
1: Or that these labels have given governments a kind of tacit... uh, acceptance of this ability to then entrap people uh, who wouldn't have committed terroristic crimes if not for the fact that they kind of goaded them on in many ways, right? Yeah. One problem I have with this is the worry about state overreach as well as the fact that I think that we've lost the plot on the fact that uh, even though Proud Boys are on this list now a bunch of Islamic groups were also placed on it and that's not being covered
2: yeah, I didn't know about that. Another issue too is like, because it becomes, because the image of terrorism becomes attached to a certain face, it becomes difficult for for citizens around us to like actually sympathize with what some of these groups of people have to go through. Because there are terrorist organizations that are in other countries, but they also terrorize the people within those countries. And then you have, these people trying to escape and then they get treated like shit when they come over. Yeah. And it's almost like they don't deserve support and help where it's like, if you look at European refugees, they got a lot more assistance than these groups do. And the reason why is because they're not seen as a threat, but I mean, that's more complicated to say because like, you know, like (laughs) I think back to like, even like when my, my family immigrated to Canada, which was like a lot, long time ago, some of my aunts and uncles, and they would tell me stories about like, people being extremely rude, throwing things at them. But the reason why was because Italy was seen as this huge fascist state that the (laughs) that North America was against, right, the enemy. So that's kind of the reason why. So I think that there's just a history of when, you know, certain countries or faces and ethnic groups are attached to this. Label of terrorism, and it becomes seen as like you look like this, then you're more likely to be a terrorist. Then that's what ends up happening to people, and that's sort of the rest of society. They're not treated with as much compassion and not given as much resources as they really should be getting.
1: But then gets into it gets into the more complicated question of whether or not any of these policies are practically useful in the first place. Like we've had white nationalist terrorists commit violence in Canada. We have what were we on like the two year? or one-year anniversary of the Quebec mosque shooting. And that person is going to prison for murder, which they would have, if they were tried for terrorism, it's not like they would have gotten a more harsher sentence. I think that the sentences are the exact same. So it's like, it, it, to, there's an extent to this in which the outcomes are going to be the exact same, no matter like whether we label them. And like maybe there's a problem with terrorism as, as a concept and as a legal tool in the first place. But then I also wanna say that like, this gets into the whole conflict with our country to begin with, which is that I think there's aspects of Canada that is white nationalist and terroristic. Like look at our treatment of the indigenous people in this country. Yeah. Still, like it's not just the proud boys in Nova Scotia, it's what's happening uh, to the Mi'kmaq today. With the burning of their fisheries, yeah, it's what's happening to the Wet'suwet'en, with the RCMP basically pushing them off their land to build a pipeline. What's happening in uh, Six Nations with the Haudenosaunee in uh, near Caledonia and having their land taken from them? Yeah, and and it's being done at the barrel of the state. We can almost recognize that when it's the Proud Boys doing it, it's a problem. But our government is enacting the same bullshit that the Proud Boys are standing out there defending. And they're still a part of the Canadian military. They weren't even. Those five boys, with their shitty behavior, was not enough to get them booted from the Canadian Armed Forces. So I, I just get frustrated with. Uh, I I feel like there's there's sort of like a liberal sentiment to this even and I I mean liberal in the general sense here because you know even the NDP supported this idea but this it's almost like a pat on the back like we we did our part <laughs> you know we put them on this this list so we've done our part when it's like there is a lot more work to be done in this country
2: yeah like abolishing the police exactly yeah I kind of do agree with you that there's like just a symbolic act of just calling them terrorists like it doesn't really change the systemic issues of course right like but at the same time what are you really supposed to do in this situation because the solution to me is really just like an overhaul of the complete structure of society but like you know if you're gonna work within the structure i guess like firing a couple of people removing them from the armed forces i don't know
1: Support Land Back Lane. Yeah. Support indigenous movements across this country. And uh, fuck the Proud Boys. And then expel them. (laughs) From polite society. (laughs) Exile them. Yes. If they show up to your club, be like, hey, get the fuck out
2: of here. No terrorists allowed. Yeah. (laughs) actually maybe that wouldn't be good maybe that would start like a whole thing about race and like people pointing out racial prejudice right but yeah but you could you catch them with their khakis you know (laughs) yes
1: hey we don't take too kindly to your khakis around here you get the fuck (laughs) out of here Going to have a proactive segment. I'm just going to say, based on the previous discussion that we just said, go support Land Back Lane, go support uh, the Wet Sweatin', and go support the Mi'kmaq. Fuck white supremacy, and uh, we love you. If you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Wednesday and Friday at 8pm. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. I want to say thank you to people. We made it to affiliate status on Twitch, which means I'm going to eventually have emotes now. We are capable of doing that. I don't fully know how to implement emotes or or work with affiliate status yet, but Apparently we have it, and I'm going to be doing it. (laughs) Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatam.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And the only boy that Mama is proud of is Leo.
2: Right, Caitlin? Oh, nice reference to my dog.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
0: Who's a good boy? (laughs) Albumbia, Albumbia,
2: how lovely are your wheat fields?